0: This is the Up Next Podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Medelise Hood. She's a thought leader whose mission is to reshape the way we invest in the people and leaders of our communities. She's also the CEO of Entrepreneurship for All, or E for All, a nonprofit whose mission is to accelerate economic and social impact through inclusive entrepreneurship. Prior to joining E4ALL, she served as market president for City Year Inc., a national educational nonprofit that partners with public schools to help students stay on track to graduate high school. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really grateful. Your mission at E4ALL is to accelerate economic and social impact through inclusive entrepreneurship. What does that mean in
1: simple terms? Like
0: what block and tackle does it look like?
1: For us, what it looks like is being very intentional with the way that we deliver our program in communities. And that starts from how we recruit entrepreneurs, who we accept into our program and what kind of tools we offer our entrepreneurs to be successful, including the languages that we offer. So we offer our programs in English and in Spanish and that all is it goes back to our inclusivity. Fantastic.
0: Now, when you talk about, the programs, what types of
1: services are offered? Yeah, so really in the our model is a business accelerator, which is a one-year program, which offers mentorship, training, and a network of other entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs find this very, very valuable, especially when they're launching their business or even when they've had their business for a couple of years and just really want to make sure they solidify their business and make it successful. The other thing that we offer is a pitch contest. So a couple times a year, we'll have pitch contests in communities, and this is open to everybody who has a business idea, even if it's nascent. And it's a a little bit like we say Shark Tank without the bite. So Mm. we're looking to see what your idea is and we're offering you some money. We're not taking any equity at all. We're just having like a fan favorite and and really voting for for who's going to win. We also do some deep dives with our entrepreneurs after the accelerator program. We'll bring them back together sometimes for deep dives. And then in some communities, we have co-working spaces where entrepreneurs can actually come in So in Holyoke, Massachusetts, our entrepreneurs can come in and use the space, use our Wi-Fi, gather there if they need to, which is real benefit for them as well.
0: So, so many questions from this. So, for instance, (laughs) the whole well, the Holyoke the the co-working space is that only available to people who have been through the accelerator program?
1: Actually, you know, most of our alumni are the ones that utilize it because they're the ones that know about us. But we partner with so many people in our communities, and we're we're really an asset. In the communities okay. that we exist, and people know us pretty well because what we aim for, and you'll see, you know, if it, for anybody that goes on our website, eforall.org, if you look at the communities that we're in, we've really targeted those mid sized communities where <laughs> we're very well known.
0: So I had been wondering around the number of consulting hours they can receive. So there's that year accelerator program. Do they have ongoing relationships? Obviously during that one year, you're learning a lot, but then rubber meets the road. You're actually a practitioner. You run into things. Are are there consulting hours associated going forward? Is that just depends on the mentor, depends on the professional. Is there structure around that?
1: Yeah. So right now we don't have a clear structure around that. And that's something that we want to improve is what, what do we offer our alumni that can be very structured and predictable. But I will say, because most all of our mentors are volunteers from the community, And each entrepreneur gets two or three mentors, and that becomes kind of your board of directors for that year of the Business Accelerator. You're meeting with them either weekly, biweekly, monthly, depending on your schedules, but we pair them up in a very strategic way. We actually use technology. We have a proprietary app that we use to pair mentor groups with entrepreneurs. And it's pretty cool to see how that group of four people comes together to really create something solid for the entrepreneur to, to build relationships with, to get feedback, to get support. And I was actually just in Longmont, Colorado, talking to some business owners there who have been out of the program for a couple of years and they said, yeah, I still meet with my mentor at least quarterly. I call them all the time. We have dinner when we can. I make sure that, you know, if I have an issue, they're the, they're my sounding board. So those relationships are pretty deep organically, which is great. Mm. But as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a type A personality. I love structure. <laughs> Could you I'm, tell I'm, that's I'm where do I am? dream too. of having more structure around that. I love the organic nature of it, but it would be great to have more structure.
0: Do you? people need to pay for any of the services they receive once they're selected into the accelerator. Is it free or is there a cost associated?
1: Yeah. So our costs are completely covered by our sponsors and our donors, which is amazing. As, as a lifelong fundraiser, I have an aversion to the word free. And I think that even though our program is at no cost to the entrepreneurs, They don't have to pay anything. We don't take any type of equity. And that really sets us apart from other organizations that are doing similar work to us. But our donors, our sponsors, our corporate partners are really the impetus to making sure that we can continue to offer that to our entrepreneurs and communities.
0: So do you, in terms of the the profile, you had mentioned selecting people do you select them? Are there means tests for the entrepreneurs or their idea assessments for the entrepreneurs? What is, how do you assess who gets accepted into the accelerator and do people
1: need to pay to apply? Yeah. The application is at no cost. You do not need to pay to apply. Anybody can apply at any stage. And what we are doing is we are reading the applications in a holistic way and also an individual way. Because as I said, one of our offerings is really that network. Each cohort is composed of 15 entrepreneurs. And what we look for, we're looking for a few things. We're looking for coachability. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to make some adjustments to the business plan that you currently have? Or do you have more of a fixed mindset? And what we're looking for is more of a dynamic mindset, somebody who is willing to be coached and willing to really take advantage of the program. Can I just jump in?
0: How do you assess through an application if somebody is coachable and is dynamic? Because people yes. are often selling
1: themselves, you know, so That's how, true.
0: how do you, we, how do
1: you do we that? We read the application. We ask some very pointed questions in the application and then we invite them to an interview and we're really, we ask some pretty deep questions and and sometimes we push a little bit. We're like, you know, we might say, we don't really think the name of your business is is fitting to what you do how do you feel about changing that and we watch their reaction right? oh okay and interesting you know interesting. you might have an entrepreneur cringe or say actually well i'd like to talk about that or i'm willing to think about that a little bit and what we're looking for we'll ask very pointed questions in our interview process to assess that coachability and their willingness to and that doesn't mean that we're going to change their business name we're just looking to see what their well, how do they react yes yeah right exactly. interesting exactly interesting. So that's an example of something that we might do in our interview process, but really we're we're looking to see that. And then we're also looking at the cohort as a whole. Do we have a really good mix of different sectors? We might have some nonprofit businesses. We might have some for profit. We might have some service businesses. We might have some materials. So we're looking to make sure that that cohort is diverse within itself and that they can really support each other as well.
0: Interesting. Right. So you don't have Gee whiz, we have all in the same sector. Although that could be yeah. interesting in a different different way, I am curious also a lot of times I have conversations with people about entrepreneurship and most of them are really focusing almost on this VC universe it's going to be you know 10x, 20x, 100x and then we're going to have a you know exit event in 5 years. Grow grow grow. And there's a whole nother, and one might even say lion's share of entrepreneurship, which is a small to mid-sized business, which sustains and creates jobs in the community, but it maybe isn't going to be a private equity play or a venture capital play. Can any type of business be part of this?
1: I love this question so much because I think we do run into that a lot especially because that is becoming more and more visible, as you mentioned. And our goal is to really go for the small businesses. So our theory okay. of change is that small businesses really matter.
0: Yes, I'm all for it.
1: Right? And <laughs> I am a believer. Us, so. Yeah. For us, it's really about emergent strategy. So thinking about small replicable changes that lead to whole scale change in our society mm-hmm. and understanding the way in which large changes are made and how that applies to our economy, right? So we know right. small businesses generate more jobs, Right. small businesses revitalize our communities and really enable financial independence. Mm. Many small businesses are sole proprietorships. One person owns them. One person is is making that that money. And for us, making sure that we are targeting women, uh, people of color, immigrants, people who are previously unemployed, that's all really important for us. And we want them to be successful. One thing that, you know, we should talk about is that there's a racial business ownership gap in this country. So 86% of businesses with employees are owned by white Americans.
0: Right. And how much of that comes from the generational wealth and having
1: experience of familial business situations? Absolutely. I mean, I talk to people all the time who raise money from friends and family.
0: Right. And if you have that, if you have that there, that gives you a well, it just lets you be daring in a way that somebody who they are bootstrapping it and they have to provide and feed. I and mean, these are very real exigencies. And I also believe that too much of the conversation is around these, I'll call it a sort of tech entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where people are trying to shoehorn things that aren't tech into tech, we work. Was a real estate play. It was never a tech play.
1: Absolutely, and that's
0: why it blew up. And not only was it a real estate, it was a rented real estate play. It wasn't even a real real estate play. So, you know, I think that understanding that it you can be really life changing and societally changing with with this thing, which seems, I mean, it sounds horrible to it's small, but mighty. You know, so that was my me and my soapbox. I will get down off my. Soapbox. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so you had mentioned, you know, your coaches and how you pair them. How do you source these coaches that you have?
1: It all goes back to relationships for us, and every single one of our sites has a local executive director who is a master at building relationships, and they are the people who are really sourcing our volunteers not only for our mentorships but also for our accelerator program. So our accelerator program has a 12-week coursework, if you will, (laughs) at the beginning Mm -hmm. of that year. So that first quarter is 12 weeks of coursework, two times a week at two hours at a time. And it's all led by volunteers who are experts in their field. So when we do the digital marketing, we invite people who are actually doing that. When we do insurance, we actually invite people who are actually working in the insurance industry to talk to our entrepreneurs. We want them to get the very best of information that is up to date and really relevant to their community because it's all localized and that's important for us. So our executive directors are really the linchpin in making sure that we have those local relationships and thinking about who are the volunteers, who are coming in as mentors. Again, they're business owners. A lot of them are graduates of our program, people in the community that have heard of our program and think it's great. One of the things that I do wanna think about though in terms of the future, especially as we scale is how do we get more mentors and where can our mentors come from, especially if we were to offer say a virtual program. And so that's something that we're thinking about in a question that I have too. Interesting. So
0: curious, how are you structured? Is it an affiliate structure or is everything you raise money centrally and there's a, a degree of control? We are one 501c3. Okay.
1: And we have multiple sites. And okay. I think that's important for us because it gives us some real stability as an organization. Right. Right. Also, and consistency. There's absolutely consistency. across the board. And, but each site is managed locally by an executive director who has, you know, their own budget, who's raising their own money for their community. But again, it all goes under the same 501c3 umbrella. And is that
0: that du- executive director is a paid position though,
1: right? You oh, absolutely. To, okay.
0: Because yes. the the mentors, those people are not paid. That's a volunteer situation. Yeah, they're
1: volunteers, which is so extraordinary. So each site has an executive director, a program manager, and program coordinator that's really looking into making sure the program is stable, that it's running, that we're recruiting the right number of entrepreneurs, the right number of mentors, right? Keeping all the operations going. But yes, we do rely heavily on our volunteers, which is amazing.
0: So you have 15 entrepreneurs in an accelerator and it's 12 weeks long. So how many do you do per year? Because I imagine there's a certain amount of work setting up, there's a certain amount of work fundraising, and then if you also have the pitch contest, how many does any given location have?
1: If you are an English-only location, of which we have a couple, uh, mm-hmm. or several I should say, you are doing a Accelerator twice a year. So what we call winter and summer. Mm -hmm. If you're bilingual, you're actually doing four accelerators. You're doing Spanish and in English and sometimes concurrently. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Will you expand? I mean, different cities have different communities in them, which, so Spanish, but maybe Cambodian or what have you, different communities. Are you looking to expand linguistically Or is it really we're going to do Spanish and English? Those are the two languages we're going to focus on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think right now our growth strategy has three parts. The first one is really continuing to think about our geographics, where we are geographically, how can we reach more entrepreneurs there in English and Spanish? Mm -hmm. Another one is thinking about our virtual program, as I mentioned earlier, and how do we get this program to more people, regardless of their zip code. So we want to make sure that we're able to do that. Then we want to think about the partnerships that we have specifically so that we're attracting more mentors and can scale that part of the work. We just actually signed an agreement with Alpha, which is the Latino uh, professional organization in Boston, and they are going to provide mentors for us for our Roxbury location and some of our new England locations, which is amazing. And I think once we get those kind of three pillars in place, We can have the conversation about other languages. We're honestly not there yet operationally.
0: Is the curriculum a set curriculum and how did you develop that? Was that in conjunction with a business school or how did that, how did you
1: formulate the curriculum? Yeah. The curriculum was developed early on. So I started in November. We started as Merrimack Valley Sandbox in 2012. And that curriculum was developed by a group of entrepreneurs and business people who knew and wanted to think about how can we get our entrepreneurs really key technical information, right? And now we've, over the, you know, the last Eleven years. We've every year we update the curriculum. I was just talking to our senior program to our program uh, director nationally, and he goes through the curriculum with a fine tooth comb every single year, really making sure that it's updated, making sure that it has diverse content, making sure that it caters to what our business owners need. So I think it's very important to note here that our business owners don't need just a bunch of theory. Oh, no, it needs to be practical. Yes, they need the practical application of those concepts. And so what we do is we embed practical concepts and opportunities to work together throughout the accelerator program. So it's like you get some practical concepts, you do some homework, you're in groups working together, you come back get more practical concepts go back and work that and then we debrief that so it's it's very back and forth in terms of the workload it's not just kind of a sit and get and right. we offer a lot of tools for our entrepreneurs to be able to take advantage of that
0: what is the track record of success you know of companies that have gone through the accelerator you know we often hear about restaurants for instance so surviving 5 years is a big deal you've been in in business let's say since Sandbox in 2012 what is the survival rate what is the success rate that you're getting out of your program
1: this is something i'm so proud of because 70% of our businesses oh. are still active after 3 years and wow. i mean your reaction says it all it's first of all it's 8% above the US average second of all remember the U.S. average actually is very skewed in terms of race. (laughs) So for the entrepreneurs that we're serving, it's actually much lower than than it would be. And that's important to us since our inception generated over $54 million in revenue for all of our businesses. And actually that number is a little higher. Our new impact report is gonna come out in a few months, which I'm very excited and I'll, I'll share that with you. But really, really proud of not only the fact that they're still in business but they're supporting themselves with real living wages
0: well and that has real impact on communities that yeah. and especially as small businesses when people patronize small businesses local business it really is the engine to to so much of our economy right which yeah. then brings me to do you have a lobbying arm that works to address systemic issues that you identify
1: We don't. And I think what's so interesting is that I I am personally very interested in that. We Mm. haven't done that as an organization. We've been very laser focused on supporting communities, the small businesses. And I honestly think that in our next decade, it is time to look up a little bit.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that you have a lot of small business associations, which lobby, have historically been embedded in certain other uh, interest groups and they may not necessarily be aligned with some of the socially progressive things that you are interested in doing. Business is business. I know that seems really basic, but you can be socially progressive and also fiscally responsible and see broad community issues. And that means that you may come at lobbying issues. I mean, for instance, if you are interested in immigrants, and what that means, and ing- immigrant entrepreneurs, there may be important things to lobby around, or for instance, the whole business of sole props and workers' compensation. and how that's handled. And if you are a B2B sole prop, the challenges you have with insurance, how things are set up, how much of benefits come through a business and then responsibilities, and then the size of a business, and then what the burden that places on a business. There are interesting, interesting things there, I think.
1: I I completely agree. And I think it's, I think for me, one of the things that I would like to see is us be a part of that conversation in terms of the thought leadership, right. And really be at the table. So I do think that is in our future. It's not a, it's not something that, like I said, it's not something that we do today, right? but it will say 6% of our entrepreneurs are immigrants and That for us is really important because what you just said is something that we need to be really clear in making sure they understand, right? What are the laws in this country? How do they differ perhaps from what you know? Because we have our our immigrant entrepreneurs are extremely educated and thoughtful and experts in their field, perhaps in their country. And so when they come here, we really want to make sure they understand what are kind of those key legal things that they have to know before really making their business successful and wages and employee experience and taxes and all of that has to be part of the conversation as well so that we make sure that they're successful.
0: Yeah. Are there persistent problems or challenges that you're seeing your entrepreneur cohort, the people you serve, are bumping up against? You mentioned you know, immigrants and understanding the underlying structural requirements. And so making sure that everybody is raised to this understanding of how things operate, what the rules of engagement are. Are there other persistent problems or challenges that you're finding that your entrepreneurial group faces? I think,
1: you know, there's sort of a bootstrap myth to entrepreneurship. And I think the problem with that myth is that it doesn't acknowledge that there are real inequities and access issues in this country
0: it is so true it is so true <laughs> I, you know i was interviewing a gentleman the other day about the founder of for us Bio, and he's oh. you now sometimes the shark tank guy yeah. and he i said to the gentleman i was interviewing i said well you know one of the reasons he found himself in this situation though was he couldn't get a bank loan and i'm sorry but he had all these orders he had all this stuff it was clear he had a, a going concern and nobody would talk to him, wonder why, you know? I mean, this is, there is a real differential in terms of access to money.
1: That's right, that's right. And I think, you know, talking about capital access, the next level of that is that we're very mindful that in order to access capital in this country, you have to be able to take a risk. Right. And for our entrepreneurs, that means putting your family at risk. And that is not something they're willing to do, rightly so. And they shouldn't be expected to, quite frankly. Right. And so we really do have those very transparent conversations around making sure that they know what it means to take these risks and Mm -hmm. are able to take calculated risks and weigh their options so that they can grow their business in a really smart and sustainable way, which is why I think we have the numbers that we have in terms of businesses that are still
0: active. Fantastic. And I mean, really, I just keep looking at that. I wrote down 70% and I'm just, wow, that's so impressive. Now let's close out with, you know, a lot of people are talking about recession and banks are being taken over by Chase Bank. So how do you think the business environment looks for small business this year and next? Where do you, are you concerned? Do
1: you think there is reason for people to be concerned? I will say we, like I said, we just finished our analysis with our entrepreneurs and three and four of our entrepreneurs are very confident about their financial future. And that number stood out to me so much when I was looking at the data the other day, because and I was, I was telling my colleague, I'm like, I don't think that three and four of Americans can say that, right? No, no. And the fact that three out of four of our entrepreneurs are able to say that they're confident about their financial future speaks volumes. Well, clearly you've got to scale
0: and serve all of us. I mean, that's the answer. That's the goal. There you go. (laughs) That's where we want to go. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me in conversation and share your story. It is a really impressive organization. If somebody is listening and they think, gosh, I'd be interested in volunteering, how could they find out about that?
1: Yes. If you would love to volunteer or even donate, we would love to partner with you. Our website is eforall.org and in Spanish it's eparatodos.org as well. So find us. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend, Rob Nott, and the voice stars who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time, right here on Up Next.